0: Welcome to the Heroes Church Podcast. Our vision is to build Christ-centered communities of imperfect people for the city. Now, let's listen to Pastor Z as he shares the scripture message. We live in a non-confrontational culture, where in a shame-based culture, especially a religious one at that, we tend to shy away from direct confrontation and therefore this is something we need to think about so that we can grow more towards it and improve on you know the merits of confrontation how we confront and you know th- really think about Are there ways to do it well or correctly? And so this passage will will show us uh, a dynamic of uh, confrontation, which is actually confronting God. And we find that in Habakkuk 1, confronting God is the prophet's reaction to hardship. And this is why this text is very relevant for us today because we are all facing hardship in one way or another. And let's look at what we can learn at how the prophet reacts to hardship by confronting God. Look at the opening verse in verse 2. We find... The prophet speaking to God who is seemingly silent, yet he continues talking to him anyway. Right? Look at this. How long, Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. I call out to you violence, but you do not intervene. This passage shows us Perseverance of the prophet to speak to God even when he is he feels God is not listening and things are getting worse. How persistent are we in talking to God? In this six months of quarantine, how have you spoken to God? Have you just Pray to God once, twice, and then that's it? Or have you spoken to God and you felt that He's not around so you just don't bother? Here we find that the prophet speaks to God. And even when he feels God is not around, continues to do so. Many times I think as Christians, or maybe not even Christians, when we just, you know, get really hard and we just call out to a higher power and we feel or we, we sense that that is a useless practice, we just give up. But here we find the prophet doesn't give up. And he continues. In verse 3, Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present and one must endure strife. Wow. Many people think that, you know, when you come to faith as a Christian, suddenly life becomes easy. You are protected significantly. There's no more striving, no more conflict. But here... Habakkuk shatters that, uh, you know, prosperity mindset, entitlement mindset, and really reflects that the life of someone who believes and has a relationship with God goes through injustice, wrongdoing, violence, conflict, strife. These are very strong words. Have you experienced any of these things? Injustice, wrongdoing, violence, conflict, strife? How have you responded to these hardships? How have you responded to these challenges? The Prophet responded by bringing up his frustration. Mustering up his thoughts his emotions and throwing them to God it's almost a very strong protest why do you force me why do you put up why God why in a we have in a religious setting such as ours mixed with our shame-based culture, we, we must consider that maybe over the past years, we have mistakenly uh, withdrawn our questions towards God and disguised this as faith. Because we think that by questioning God, asking Him why, we are diminishing uh, our belief in Him. But look at this text. If this was a wrong act, why was it included here? If we do not learn what this experience is or that that, that this experience was allowed, then why is it here? I want to go straight to, to encouraging you that at this trying times, the best thing to do is really to come to God. Where will you go? Our, our society ha- is training us, molding us to cast our cares and our worries on social media. Meet the Me Too movement. We just keep adding up ways to broadcast our hardship our pain, our suffering, to everyone, but not the one who matters most. Not the one who is actually there to listen, to, to, to care, and can actually do something about it. The world today has made us believe that by broadcasting our lives on social media people will care by throwing out our thoughts and our emotions in public that it will we, it, we will connect with somebody but in this same generation we are seeing rise in depression, rise in suicides, rise in the sense of loneliness. So social media is growing. So many subscribers, so many likers, so many engagements. Yet, Deep inside us, there is a growing vacuum. And I think this is one thing we must see. One thing that Habakkuk immediately shows us is that we can come to God in response to our hardship. And the second point we learn here is when we come to God with our hardship when we come to God with our need, when we come to God with our problems, he can respond to this challenge, not in the way you and I expect or hope. Look at verses 6 to 7. God responds to Habakkuk and says, look, I'm about to empower the Babylonians that ruthless and greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing dwelling places that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. You might think things are bad, but I will employ and empower non-believers, frightening people, to wreak more havoc in the world. If you are Habakkuk and you see everything so dark, like there is so much injustice. And then God speaks to you and says, it will be worse. And I will actually empower you know, unjust people to do more bad things. How would you feel? How would you feel? And this is where a lot of, you know, this is where a lot of things you listen, you listen to or, or reflect on really matters because here we find God telling telling Habakkuk something he doesn't want to hear, nor telling Habakkuk seem something that is seemingly more unjust and if you were Habakkuk, you'd probably be like, mind blown. you will probably be walking away. you will probably be like, why is this happening? But look at the beauty in the story. Because God spoke to Habakkuk, because God responded to the challenge, we find that more than the results or content of what he was saying, God's presence made a difference. Okay? The presence of God in Habakkuk's ordeal made such a huge difference that on the ensuing verses, his dialogue began to change. That is pretty obvious here in verse 12. Habakkuk then calls God Lord, signifying the relationship he has with him. You have been active from ancient times. My sovereign God, you are immortal. Lord, you have made them your instrument of judgment. Protector, you have appointed them as your instrument of punishment. See the reversal? See what is happening here? Habakkuk comes to God flat out, vulnerable, angry, confused, injustice all around me, conflict all around me, hardship all around me. Then God responds to him and says, you think things are bad? Now things will move from bad to worse. And look, I'm even going to empower Babylonians to do more bad things. But look at Habakkuk. When he came to God, God responded to him, and then he returns that relational dialogue and says, Lord, I know you. You have been very active. You are sovereign, and you are in control. And when you use them, you are using them as your instrument of judgment, instrument of punishment. (coughs) Excuse me. And look at verse 13 to 14. You are too just to tolerate evil. You are unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with these treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those more righteous than they are? You made people like fish in the sea, like animals in the sea that have no ruler. Habakkuk listens to what God has to say. Habakkuk processes what God says and does not change his view of God and his sovereign control and his, his justice, yet he still tenderly brings out his questions. Why do you allow this to happen? This is such a beautiful exchange because we find that the process becomes more about God and Habakkuk's relationship with Him more than the circumstances that are happening. The circumstance that is happening does not change the relationship between Habakkuk and God. But the relationship influences the way the circumstances are viewed. Isn't that so amazing? Isn't that a truth we can hang on to? You and I, we find that, you know, many times the circumstances dictate the change in our relationship, in our status. We allow hardship to break and ruin the good that is there. But here we find that is not the case. Though Habakkuk did not fully comprehend, though Habakkuk still has questions and concerns, his relationship with God was intact. And in fact, this circumstance was even driving them closer to one another. In this case, the confrontation becomes healthy. And this is why you and I must learn that we can come to God because if not, by either Distancing ourselves from God, walking away from God, you know, talking to other people rather than God. We miss out on the beauty of the exchange that would have made such a big difference in our lives. And look at how the chapter ends. Habakkuk continues air out his concerns. You know The Babylonian tyrant pulls them all up with a fish hook and when he catches them, he is very happy. Will he then continue to fill and empty his throw net? Will he always destroy nations and spare none? Like a child, Habakkuk repeats himself. Even though God has already responded, even though he comes to an understanding of who God is and um, in part you know, declares that God is just empowering the Babylonians to do his bidding, he still continues to throw his concerns of hopelessness to him. And that's why the end of chapter one seems very bleak. And we will have the whole month to discuss how this progresses. But for now, let's look at what you and I can learn from the things we've read so far. The ending seems bleak, but we find hope in the confrontation. And that is why we need to learn to confront God. We need to learn how to come to God because we find the value. At least three three guidelines we find here. Number one, from the beginning, from the beginning, the sovereign God is in control. Look at how the book opens. The following is the message which God revealed to Habakkuk the Prophet it's like a disclaimer it's like a handle it's like uh, a warning what you are you know when 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 you when you see something on on social media and it's gonna display a uh, a hard video or a graphic, it will display a message. It says, "You know, warning: the video that is blurred now or the pictures blurred now when you click this will be a little bit harsh. Uh, uh, you know, will be quite gory. So, enter at your own risk. Or sometimes, you know, there's there's an age you have to signify that you're 18. And if you think about it, this is s- seemingly accomplishing this as well." What you are about to to hear, what you are about to read, you know, might be challenging for you. But remember, the following is the message which God revealed to Habakkuk, the prophet. What do we find here? Number one, God is ultimately sovereignly in control from the beginning. He allowed this because he revealed this. It's part of his revelation. To who? to Habakkuk the prophet. There is a relationship there. And, you know, I I would go on as to, to be consistent with this text and say, you know, this is something going to be understood by people who have that relationship with God. So if you're... Listening and you have a relationship with God and you're a Christian, then, you know, you I have hope that the Holy Spirit will help you process and understand this. But if you are here and you're not a Christian and you're exploring Christianity, then maybe just li- listen a little bit more so that you can see where we are coming from. We're, we're just not saying, you know, we're making a claim to a relationship with God and therefore these things happen. No, there is a relationship. We're just trying to establish that God has a relationship with Habakkuk and he reveals this as part of his plan. okay? When someone has a plan, we can trust. When God has a plan, then we know he's thought about this. And that's why this opening verse is so crucial. You know, don't, don't, don't skip it. In fact, highlight it in your Bible because it shows that you know the handle is there. There is a message, there is something being revealed to the prophet. Okay, so take note of that. Number two, when you and I go through hardship, we will say and sometimes believe things that indicate hopelessness. Look at verse 4. Habakkuk 1.4 says, For this reason, the law lacks power and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. Remember, Habakkuk was speaking to God. And in the paradigm of things, in in, in the hierarchy of things, God is the creator, sovereign ruler, ultimate judge. And here's Habakkuk the prophet. He's someone who is serving under the banner of this king. And yet he comes to the king with the audacity to say, you know what, king? The law is useless. Justice is never carried out. Justice is perverted. Now, think about the relationships you have. It could be relationships with hierarchy, like boss-employee, or it could be relationships that are equal, like spousal relationship. Or again, hierarchy, parent to child. Now, how would you feel when the other person comes to you and just throws out all these, you know, things like from boss to employee, it'd be like from employee to boss. Imagine the employee comes to the boss and be like, Man, the system doesn't sucks. The system doesn't work why 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 is this why do these processes even exist it doesn't make sense how would you expect the the, the employer to respond or if you're in a relationship a peer to peer or a spousal relationship and, and your partner comes to you and be like "Hey, this relationship doesn't make sense I'm giving too much but I'm receiving too little. How would you feel? Or like when you're, or or about a parental relationship, what if the kid comes to you and starts saying, hey dad, like your rules doesn't make sense. In the other house, in my classmate's house, you know, things are different. How would you feel? When someone of you know someone that matters to you come to you with this sense of hopelessness, with this sense of, uh, you know, attacking or crying out foul, oh my goodness, be honest. You feel really bad. You will naturally feel defensive. You will either protect the company, protect the relationship, protect your home. You can either get mad, scold, or fire the employee. In the case of, you know, the relationship, you might, you know, use this as a deal-breaking part of your relationship. Or if your child, of course, you cannot kick out the child, but you, you just end up scolding them. You find that suddenly, when someone comes to you and and they just have all these complaints, you just tend to push it away. But here we find that Habakkuk one, four says. Habakkuk was allowed that space. He had that space to talk. He had that space to tell God how he feels. And it was all right. God didn't smite him with thunder. God didn't shut him up on the spot. He was allowed to open up. Now, what do you think that is revealing to us? Okay? Okay. That reveals that God knows our frame. Look at verse 5. Look at the nations and pay attention. You will be shocked and amazed. God intervenes. He knows how Habakkuk will feel. I will do something in your lifetime that you will not believe even though you are forewarned. God knows exactly who he's talking to. He knows their limitations. He knows that even if he reveals something to them, they will not believe it. And this reminds me of Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers, for he knows what we are made of. He realizes we are made of clay. Brothers and sisters, God knows our free. God knows our limitations. God knows when we break. And it's okay because it's not our job to fix ourselves. If God is the creator and he has created us and he has a plan for us, we can come to him because he knows exactly what to do. Many times we miss out on this beautiful dynamic because we seek to fix ourselves first. We seek to make ourselves good enough before we come to God. And we don't realize by trying to make ourselves good enough, we're still not good enough or we make things worse. We miss out on the reality that God will allow us to say things that might hurt, things that might change because of our emotions. But He allows it anyway because He knows our frame. He's not going to back out. He's not going to expect us. To be more than we're not. He's not going to expect us to see the world the way He sees it. We don't have that capacity. And He's not going about to just bring that upon us and that burden. We find here that God knows our frame. He is in control. He allows us to speak our minds. And He knows our frame. So I want to encourage you, at least in this angle that in tough times, and you and I were going through unprecedented tough times in history, go ahead and challenge God. Go ahead and direct your frustrations to Him. He can handle it. He can most definitely handle it. He's not going to throw a tantrum. He's not going to be insecure and defensive. He's, you know, he's not going to throw all these passive-aggressive manipulations to us because he doesn't have to. Please do not define your relationship with God with the broken relationships we have in this world with other human beings. Because God is different. And let me prove to you how. How does God handle your frustrations? How does God make space for your questions? And how does God embrace you with His love? Well? Let's go back to the issue of confrontation. Why are we poor at confronting others? Because we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt. I don't want to shake the boat. I don't want to ruffle up the feathers. I'm just going to keep it cool. We don't want to say our peace because we're afraid that the other person will be offended, that the other person will be hurt. Right? Okay, now now, now let's put that same mindset to God. You don't want to confront God because you're afraid. You don't want to confront God because you're afraid to hurt him. Why? Why? The gospel already teaches you that you can never hurt God more than you've already hurt hurt him because of sin. Jesus has been sent here to live an amazing life, yet he died a most horrific death and feeling separated and feeling the wrath of God He experienced the greatest injustice. To what end? To what end? So that he can have us. So what does that tell us? Well, I want to end with this. Jesus already faced the worst hurt to keep us so that no lesser hurt would keep us away from him. Jesus already faced the worst hurt to keep us, so that no lesser hurt would keep us away from him. Brothers and sisters, before we go to the table, I want you to think about how you're hurting now. What are your questions to God? What are your uh, feelings about the situation? Are you angry? Are you unhappy? Are you in deep wandering? Bring these things to God. He can handle it. Don't be afraid of hurting Him because he's already, we've already hurt Him the most. The cross has already his big been his biggest hurt. No lesser hurt would keep him away from us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And as we go to communion, may we be reminded of what you have done on the cross and what this signifies. Thank you that you have undergone through the greatest injustice and hurt already in order to keep us and we pray that we don't allow lesser hurts to to keep ourselves away from you may we draw close to you in full confidence of the grace that you have won for us in jesus name we pray amen So as a response to um, a response to the message we are now going through communion now if you as i said if you're a non-believer and you are just exploring christianity this is something absolutely uh, not no, not applicable to you, but if you are here and you're a Christian and you have that relationship with God, and this is something that we practice as a concrete sign of strengthening our faith and remembering what Jesus Christ has done. So, if you're here uh, and and you you as as, as part of our church, you've been informed that there will be communion and you've prepared the elements, that's great. If you were not prepared, that's fine. You probably didn't get the memo and it's okay. But for those who are here with the elements, I'd like to encourage you to get them with your, uh, with the people in, in your homes and um, you know, if, if you're on Zoom and you you you'd like to part, participate on this together? You can turn on turn on your videos so that we can you know you can see each other and then we can partake the communion together. By so doing, we are practicing uh, communion the way it was meant to be practiced together, not in private, but together as a body, together as a community of faith. And I hope that as directly linked with the message, we can connect with communion and be assured of the great injustice Jesus Christ endured in order for us to be able to come to him with our own concerns. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, broke it, gave thanks, shared to his disciples and said, take this all of you and eat it. This is my body, which I give to you. Do this in memory of me. Let's all take the bread. That same night, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, shared to his disciples and said, take this all of you and drink from it is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. It will be shed for you and for all men so that sins will be forgiven. Do this in memory of me. Let's all partake of the cup. And let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this new series that connects with our struggles but offers the hope of your presence, of your love, your divine intervention, and your great plan for us. We pray that as we partake communion, we will be strengthened and refreshed, that your grace will flow through us so that we can be also a channel of grace and blessing to the world very much in need of it. Be with us in the rest of our worship service. In Jesus' name we pray.